Good morning, everyone. I'll let the offering guys, don't we have just the most handsome group of ushers that you've ever seen? I'm sure some of them are single ladies, so y'all just look around. <laughs> I might get in trouble this morning, y'all, it's okay. Look, Pastor Darren's not here, Bishop's not here. Let's have fun, all right? It's going to be a good Sunday. I really love this front row over here because y'all all called each other this morning and were like, look, we're going to wear our black jeans with our holes right here and a black top ready for church on a Sunday morning. Uh, as Pastor Kirk mentioned, today is the day of our small groups expo. Have you guys seen the tables, been by the tables out in the cafe? How many of you have actually put your name down on a table? We are not telemarketers. We are not going to, have you ever put your number down for just something random and then all of a sudden everyone knows that your car's warranty has expired? Well, that's not us, okay? Put your name on the table. We want you to get involved with the fall small group this session. And since I'm speaking today, I get to plug my small group. Um, on Wednesday nights, my wife and I are running a freedom group. Now, we kick these off in the spring. And it's just an incredible group for, you know, our tagline for it is freedom, settle your yesterdays. You know, we've all gone through a lot of stuff in life, and life is messy. And sometimes we move on, but we haven't settled and closed what we've been through and what's happened. And so this group is all about addressing those things, revisiting your foundation of your belief in God and who he is and who he is to you, and then learning how to deal with stuff that you might not even know you have. Uh, you know, we did this group as a staff and was like, man, we're messed up. <laughs> like we went through all this and things were just, God was handling some things in our life. So I encourage you when, when, after service today, go out there, look through the tables. And if nothing really seems to click, Freedom Group is for everybody. Bishop encourages everyone at some point take one of these small group sessions, jump in on Freedom Group with us, okay? And I'll make you guys a deal. I'll do my very best to be brief. If y'all promise when we're done, you're going to go see the small group expo. Now, yeah? You in? Okay. Now I said I'll do my best to be brief. We'll be okay. Loophole. All right, if you got your Bibles this morning, go to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25, and we'll be in verse 27. Genesis 25, verse 27. This morning, the title of my message is Battle for Your Birthright. Battle for Your Birthright. Let's read together. It says, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. These are the sons of Isaac. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And we got to pause right there. I just love that this is just how things are. That just, you know, Rebecca loved Jacob because he spent time with her and they sat on the couch together and he would rest his head on her lap and, and they, they had built this relationship. And then Isaac loved Esau because he brought him food. And so we already see the roots, fellas, it's not our fault. It started a long time ago. You know what I mean? Enjoy your quality time, beef jerky, right? And we can settle things. Let's keep going. It says, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, got up and left. 
he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. There is a battle going on for your birthright. There is a battle going on for your birthright. Esau sold his. My question this morning is what are you doing with yours? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, around me, over me, Lord, whatever you have to do to push me to the side and you be magnified in the room this morning. God, I pray that all of our hearts and our minds would be open to receive everything you'd have to do, God, that you would challenge us this morning to do more, God, to get closer to you, to experience you in a new way. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. I'm sorry about all the water. Uh, thank you for all of you guys who came to the volunteer day yesterday. We got to tear out a few houses and help. Uh, unfortunately, my sinuses and mold do not mix, so I'm uh, struggling a little bit. So bear with me. Um, you know, we don't really have something in place today that's similar to really what the birthright meant at this time. The closest thing we have in comparison is an inheritance. You know, when, when the father passes and the inheritance that they leave to the next. But in this generation, in this time, the birthright was so much more than just the inheritance. The birthright held three major pieces, especially for a family that served God. Uh, the first thing was that the, the oldest, the one who had the birthright, was going to get two-thirds of the father's estate. They had available to them twice as much of the inheritance as everyone else in the family was going to get. The second piece of the birthright was that they were going to take over as the patriarch of the family. They were going to make the decisions. They were going to lead the family. They were going to make all the, call all the shots and make the moves. And the third and most key for this family line is that the son who held the birthright was the one who was to believe to have had the hand of God on their life everywhere they went. That when they received the birthright, God's, God's blessing, God's favor, God's guidance, God's direction, God's voice would follow them more directly than the, than the rest and the others. And so this birthright was such a big deal, and, and I have to lay a, a small groundwork. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be reborn. It wasn't, it's not just enough that you be forgiven. It's not just enough that you be repentant. But in that forgiveness and in that repentance comes a new birth. Because when you're reborn, you become subject to a new birthright. See, you have two birthrights at play. You have the birthrights as a child on this earth to whoever your earthly father is and whatever that is over you. But that's nothing in comparison to when you're reborn. You have a new availability to a birthright from heaven. So we must be reborn. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, For his spirit, the Holy Spirit, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That's your identity and salvation. You are a child of God. But that's not just some nice thing that we tell our kids in kids' ministry so they can paint something on a, on a pretty pot on Mother's Day and hand it to you. When you are a child of the Most High God, you've now received a new birthright. Don't sell your birthright. And we see this birthright in action in, action in the story of the prodigal son. See, this... It's a familiar passage where, where Jesus is telling a parable of a son who, who told his father, hey, I want my inheritance now. He leaves, he squanders it, he comes back to his father. And he comes back to his father thinking, here, I'll come back to him and I'll be one of his servants. I'm going to work for him now. And we preach this story a lot. I've preached this story a lot and say, no, 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 the father loves you so much. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be a servant. The father cares for you so much. No, 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 no. You can't forfeit your birthright. He didn't have to come back as a servant. Because he had an, a father who honored his birthright. You are my son. Deserving and earning have nothing to do with it. That's why when the son came back down the road, the father was just waiting at the moment, sprints off the porch to go see him. 
And when the son's trying to apologize, he says, give him a robe, give him a ring, give him these shoes, give him the calf. Why? Because that was his birthright. And no matter where you've been in life or no matter where you've gone, whether you've come to Christ for the first time or whether you've, you've been with him and then left, whatever's gone on, there's no making up to do. That's your birthright. Now, there's things that we do temporarily and in the moment that hand off our birthright. But there's nothing you have to do to come back and receive it. And we have to be sure as children and as believers and as church members that we don't try to force other prodigal children who are coming back to earn back their birthright. Because we, we try to push everything into these parables and these things that we've read. Look, the Bible is only so big and there's so much truth that's not even uh, able to be extrapolated in there. But people are messy. You see, in the story of the prodigal son, the son, you know, said, hey, look, father, I don't want this. I'm taking my money. I'm leaving. And he wasted. But not everyone who has left the favor of God did that. Some people have been through some things. Some people were chased off by the church. Some people were hurt by pastors. Some people were hurt by by church members. Some people were hurt by people who thought they were doing the right thing because they were too concerned about battling for their rights on earth and not concerned with battling for the birthright of themselves and for everyone around them. See, we have to be able to look into the eyes of someone who's lost, broken, and hurting and say, you have a birthright. To leave all of that aside, to step right back into who you were called to be as much as I was, and your birthright has been forfeited not even a fraction anymore than mine has. That you have every right to the kingdom no matter what mold you, you fit into that I think you should. You have every exact right to the birthright that you've been given under your father as I do. That price has been paid and it's settled. But before we can extend that right to everyone else, we have to understand what it means for us. Because we saw in in Genesis chapter um, 25, verse 34, it says, Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal. Then he got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. That word contempt, in other translations, he despised it. He, He didn't value it. He didn't understand what it was worth. Do we understand how many times have you heard a pastor say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it was supposed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But he didn't understand the value. He didn't understand what that was worth. So the number one thing I have to tell you this morning is you have to recognize the value of your birthright. Recognize the value of your birthright. Realize the value of your birthright. And so I'm going to give you a few things, uh, scriptures with, with each of them. There are some pastors, and you can go through and study, that they say there's over 180 portions of blessing that are attached to your birthright. And we're going to go over all of those this morning. Y'all are in for like a half second. I'm going to give you like four or five. Why don't we just start there and we'll go from there. The number one thing in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Done. You're now a child of God. Why? Because then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do we realize earlier? That when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he affirms you as one of God's children. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. You know who we are? We're those far away. That's our birthright. All who have been called by the Lord our God. The Holy Spirit is your birthright. The moment you receive salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not his child or son. The moment you give your life to Christ, when we tell our, our, our kids when they're little, like, do you want Jesus to enter your life? 
That's what we're saying to help them understand the fact that when you, when you receive God, the Holy Spirit comes alive in you. And that's your birthright to walk in that. And the reason we have to start and realize that is because everything else flows out of him. Every other right that you have a, an agreement and an extension to comes out of your birthright to the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 6, says, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Your second birthright out of that is freedom. And freedom is not partial. We don't live partially free lives. Look at this in Jude chapter 1. It says, dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Now listen, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Your birthright is absolute freedom from the powers of sin. Absolute freedom from it. Now, where I have to be careful is because I don't think there's anyone in here trying to trip people up by saying, oh, don't worry, you can still sin. Don't worry, it's not that bad. But we have to make sure we're on the right side of grace. Because what grace means is you might still mess up, but you're forgiven. But grace does not mean you are bound to make mistakes. And this is a hard line because no one wants to stand up here and say that because that sounds like I'm saying I'm perfect, and I am not. My wife will attest, I am far from perfection. But my identity says I can strive for it daily. There's not things in my life that I just submit to and say, this is just who I am and this is how it is. If I truly believe that my master is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then I don't serve darkness. What does that mean? When I make a mistake, it's my choice. In those moments, I am forfeiting my birthright to be free in exchange for slavery to sin. And we have to be careful because sometimes it's easy. We come into church and we say, so break every chain, break every chain. Oh, break every chain. And God's like, oh, okay. And you go, well, no, no, not that chain. I kind of prefer that chain. Just leave that chain. There's no such thing as partial freedom. Well, we're going to pick and choose our chains. We're going to pick and choose our links. God, save me from this. Deliver me from this. Move, move on to this. Ah, don't touch that. Don't, eh, don't mess with that, God. Freedom is your birthright. If you don't understand that freedom is your birthright, that these battles that you're facing are already over and won, you're submitting yourself to things that you don't have to. You're putting up with things that when, you, when your father is the creator of the universe, you don't have to. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Yeah, y'all can get excited this morning. It's okay. God's good. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? 
What is he saying? Those things are going to exist. Those things will swirl in your life. But as the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. But no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory. Your birthrights are the spirit of God, freedom in him, and an overwhelming victory over every trial that you face. How? Because of Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. And Acts 1, 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's by that power we have to live our lives. The comfort that we have in this country, the comfort that we have to just live on like nothing's wrong, nothing's bothering us. We can live for Jesus one day and do what we want the next. When in other countries, if you even want to fly that flag, you're risking your life. It drives us to a place to neglect the power because why? We don't feel like we need it to get from today to tomorrow. But I want to live in the fullness of my birthright. I don't want to settle for for time and for things on this earth that don't fully match up to what my life could have been, what I could have done. Because we're not talking about heaven and hell anymore. At some point as believers, we have to stop talking about about if I get to heaven and how I can get to heaven. No, we're done. It's sealed. What are you doing now on this side of eternity? The Bible says, don't store up treasures in heaven. The only thing you can take from this earth to heaven is another soul with you. Your coworker, your family members. But guys, look around. We're in the Bible Belt of Southeast Texas. There are, there's a church on every single corner. Why should anybody be surprised or, or, or look up when we say, hey, come to church for this, come to church for this? Why? Because we should be walking in an undeniable power by our birthright that we don't even have to speak, that when they see it in our lives, they're drawn to it. People want something different, people want change. People want healing. We sing your name is healing, your name is power, your name is life. But we don't live that. What does that song look like you in your life tomorrow? What do people see about that in your life tomorrow? That's your birthright. Next thing you have to do is be ready for the wilderness. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 29, it says, One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Exhausted and hungry. My wife traveled a lot when she was a kid. Uh, They moved around a lot, military family, so they're always driving around, homeschooled on the road, doing that kind of thing. And I think that road life kind of got to her. I hadn't even gotten there yet, Pastor Kirk. He like knows I'm in trouble and just trying to help me out. I appreciate you. I'm going there. We're good. Power. It's not bad, babe, I promise. Um, so, you know, you guys know when you take road trips, if, if you're going through Baytown, where are you stopping? You don't take a road trip without stopping at Bucky's or somewhere. You know, you stop at Bucky's to spend $150 on gas and a grill if you want one, like whatever. We're doing it. Take a picture by a beaver statue. Guys, what are we doing? But I understand that. And when I go to buy Bucky's, I'll stop too most of the time. It's a good excuse. It's fine. But we would be driving like 10 minutes down the road, and she's like, we got to stop and get snacks. Babe, I couldn't even open the peanut M&Ms by the time we get to my mom's house. Why are we stopping for everything? 
Like, no matter where we went, we got to stop and load up. We got to pack a cooler and snacks and sandwiches. And, like, it's a 30-minute drive. What are we doing? I got the lanterns and the tent and, like, everything. Huh? When I was little, y'all remember Astroworld? We used to go to Astroworld, like, every summer. Every summer. Astroworld was the place. Um, but y'all know how expensive amusement park food is. It's like $12, $15 for a corn dog. We were a family of six. So you know what we did? We got to the parking lot that morning. My dad broke out the Slim Fast, said, what do you want, chocolate or vanilla? <laughs> you downed a Slim Fast to hold you over for the morning. Y'all been there. You got into the park. When it was lunchtime, you know what you did? You went back to the car. You broke out the cooler. You made some sandwiches. Who wants mayonnaise? Who wants this? It doesn't matter. It's all we have. Cut up some corners. Hand it out. That's how we ate. Why? Because we were ready for the wilderness. I'm not spending $20 on a corn dog. I don't care if it's in the shape of Mickey. Like, none of that matters. We're not doing that. But look at Esau. The Bible said he was a skilled hunter. You only become a skilled hunter by doing something over and over and over. This wasn't his first hunting trip. Esau should have known better than anyone that sometimes you don't catch your game immediately, that sometimes it's a long excursion, that sometimes that battle, sometimes that trial, sometimes that trip takes a little bit longer than you might be expecting. Esau, why didn't you pack? Why did you go without what you needed to achieve what you went to do? Why did he allow himself to become exhausted and hungry? You know, when Jesus went into the wilderness and faced temptation, he was hungry, but he wasn't empty. And that, there's a big difference between being hungry and being empty. My wife tells me all the time, Albert, you're not hungry. <laughs> you're not empty. I saw what you ate for dinner. <laughs> because being hungry and being empty are two different things. See, Esau was empty. When Jesus went into the wilderness and faced temptation, we knew he was full. Why? Because he had just been filled with the Holy Spirit. That it didn't matter what the hunger temptations were, he wasn't empty inside. Do you realize what you guys are going to be facing in life? I want the enemy to come after me. Because if he's not, I must be doing something wrong. I want him to have a target on my back to at every turn try to take my legs out from under me. You know what that means? That means I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But within that, I also have to know I need to stay full. I need to stay full because when we get empty, we forget what our uh, strengths are. It's when we allow ourselves to become empty and drained, we become susceptible to trading our birthright. Remember what we read at the beginning. This, it doesn't make any sense to me. Esau was a skilled hunter and outdoorsman. Jacob was a peaceful man among the tents. Do y'all realize how this conversation should have gone? Skilled hunter wants stew. Peaceful man has stew. Skilled hunter takes stew. That should have been this entire exchange. I can't imagine if I had something my older brother wanted. He came home and I tried to charge him for it. But when we become empty, we forget what our strengths are. When we become exhausted and we become strained, we become susceptible to trading in our birthrights. Because we're so captivated by what's happening right there. And what happens is, is we begin to make very, very poor trades. Very, very poor trades in our life. Because I mentioned earlier, the, the, your number one birthright is the Holy Spirit. You know what comes with the Holy Spirit? Every fruit of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. 
And we begin to trade those in. You, you trade in joy for anger and sadness. You trade in your peace for, for worry and anxiety. You trade in a grace that is sufficient for worry and regret and shame. Or how about this? You trade in your credibility as a believer in your testimony for an opportunity to gossip and slander and tear down another believer. Because we become exhausted and we become drained and we haven't maintained our fullness. I have to be full in the wilderness. I have to be full in the wilderness. Some of us have to be, make, it a, make it a point in our lives that I've got to go to the wilderness. I've been spending too much time at home in the tents. And there's people out there who need me. There's people out there relying on me. So I've got to fill up. And I got to go to work tomorrow on a mission. Guys, Family and Friends Day is next week. This is the easiest sell of the year. Everyone loves bouncy houses. Everyone loves the opportunity to put your kids in a bouncy house while you eat lunch. <laughs> Praise God. We have to go and tell these people and pull on their hearts to come to the house of God. And we can't go so exhausted and hungry that they look at our lives and say, why would I want to do what you do? You're just as stressed out as I am. You're just as worried as I am. You talk the same way I do. You watch the same shows I do. You make the same jokes I make. So why would I give up my Sunday morning to do something? We have to get to the wilderness and we have to get there full. You know what else Esau had forgotten? He forgot that he had already fought to win the battle for his birthright. The Bible says when, when Jacob and Esau were still in their mother's womb, that a prophet said there is a war at place, two nations warring against each other. But who came out first? Esau, with Jacob grasping at his heel. Esau had already won his birthright. And he might not have remembered it. You say, well, he was a baby. But what about your life? Also, one, I'm sure they told him that story a thousand times. Mom loved, moms love stories about their baby. So how many times had Esau heard, your little brother was just holding on to your heel when he came out and it was the cutest little thing. He knew this. When you become exhausted and hungry, you start forgetting what you got through to get here. The things you sacrificed, the miracles God did in your life just to bring you to this point. And because when you can hold on to that, you realize this is not worth trading. This is not worth trading. John Damon Scapin III comes down here from Washington, D.C. to live with us for two long, long, long years. Like really long years. Like if there's a year, there were frustrations, there was occasional yelling, there was many what-are-you-thinkings. And you know what, today there's still a lot of frustrations, what are you thinkings, but you know what I, I remember? That when he first into my, moved into my house, my one goal was to see him graduate high school. My goal was to make sure that this young man didn't forfeit everything God had for him in his future. And so now, when he's moved out in an apartment and he gets a dog, even though I told him, John, you're not ready to get a dog, and the moment I can get upset with that or I can look back and like, that's my, that's my issue right now. Thank God for the issues I have for today. 
because they remind me where I was yesterday. That I can look at today and I can say, look, this is where I am and this is what I'm battling through. My wife is starting her own business right now, sole proprietorship of Utime Fitness. And there's a cost and there is sacrifice. And let me tell you, things are a little tight right now. But you know what I know? My battle is that we're starting a business. I remember where I was then. And that gratitude can fill me. Gratitude can fill you when you're empty. Paul tells us that we have to go on being filled. That we learn in when Jesus first mentioned the Holy Spirit in John chapter 4, that the Holy Spirit is in you as a spring. So that the moment you're saved, the Holy Spirit is within you. But we have to do things in our life to let that spring loose. To let it flood over our lives when we become baptized by the Holy Spirit. And we live with our entire bodies and our souls and our minds and our hearts covered by the goodness and the grace of God. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. How do we do that? By the word, by prayer, but by meditation on it. Today is not enough. This morning is not enough to keep you full until next week. None of you are going to eat lunch this morning and not eat again until next Sunday. Why would you do that with the word of God? I have to be full of the word in moments in, 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 in my periods of prayer, and I have to meditate on that day and night. Favorite passage that I memorized that you've probably heard me quote a thousand times. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water. And why would we ever have to complain about a dry season when my roots are planted in water? See, it's way too often that in the church we talk about our spiritually dry seasons. What we normally mean by that is God's answer to our prayer right now is no. And when God says no, we're like, he's not answering. No, he answered. He said no. I don't suffer dry seasons because my roots are in a stream. I'm not affected by the surrounding season. It's in that, the rest of that passage says, who shall produce fruit in its season. Not in the season. In its season. So that no matter what the season is around me, I have a season. And my season is determined by God and by God alone. That I know if I stay firm, I stay planted in his word, in prayer, in worship, in church. Why do you think we promote our app so much? You can literally stay planted 24-7 with these messages, with worship, with the Bible app, all the time. You don't have to go hungry. You don't have to go thirsty. We talk about things like small groups. Why? Because we're a little bit of a larger church. It is hard for us as a pastoral staff to meet with every single person all the time. And you have needs. You can get in a small group with people who recognize those needs, with people who can help walk you through those and help make sure you're staying full through those needs. Our Meals on Wheels group will literally make sure you stay full through those needs. We have to get plugged in. The last thing this morning is you have to recognize the attack. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 32, look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? Jacob gets this reputation for being this cunning schemer, but that doesn't really happen until later. Would anyone call this a good trick? Hey, Esau, I'll give you some stew for your birthright. No, Esau was just dumb. There's a difference between, between being deceived and being dumb. 
some of us can get pretty spiritually dumb sometimes. Why? Because we don't realize that this isn't a temptation, this is an attack. I'm, I'm trading in my birthright that moment. We can't afford to be prisoners of the moment with what's happening right there and right then. And this is why you can't afford to be dramatic. The enemy is waiting for that moment that you slip into that frame of thought that everything's so bad and everything's falling apart and this is all so terrible and this is all the worst. Why? Because that's when he slips in and makes you an offer that under any other circumstance would seem ridiculous. But if you're in that frame of mind, you say, what good is my birthright to me now? You cannot give up what you want most for what you want now. You cannot give up what you want most for what you want now. What a lot of you might want most tonight is to sit back and watch a football game. Or I'm sorry, that might be what you want now for this night. Not me, Cowboys, come on, y'all. 3-0, oh, the Dolphins and the Redskins and the Giants. That might be what you want now tonight. But if you want, if what you want most is to get out of debt, go to the Trammels Life small group tonight and work on a plan to get out of debt. Most of our sins and our traps in life are why? Because we give up what we really want the most for what we want right now. And we have to hold on to this thought. This feeling will pass. When you get in those moments and you're ready to make a trade, you say to yourself, this feeling will pass. This moment will pass. There is nothing good the enemy can give you that isn't already in your birthright. But you say, well, why? God's not giving it to me yet. Because you're not ready for it yet. It's like when, it, when, when a child is set to inherit a lot of money, a lot of times there's stipulations on it. Well, when you're 18, the money will be released. When you're 21, it will be released. Why? Because you couldn't handle it yet. And we're asking God, God, why not now? Why couldn't you just pour out that blessing to me now? Because you're not ready to handle it yet. But don't turn to the enemy to trade that birthright in. Just wait for me. Make a plan. Get into action. Get in my face. Do what you've, what you've been called and asked to do. Last few things. When Jesus was in the wilderness, there were three things that the enemy tempted him with. And the first was bread because he thought Jesus was hungry. Jesus said, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones to become bread. Okay, Satan, what I want right now might be bread. Or I could just wait because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the Father's mouth. Also in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So either I could trade my birthright in right now for some desert bread, or I could just become the bread of life. That whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever drinks from me will never thirst. So should I trade in what you want for me now for what I want most? It's my destiny to become, not to be. Could we stop asking our kids what they want to do when they grow up and start asking what they want to be when they grow up? Now what do you want to do? I don't ask Eli what he wants to do when he gets older unless kindergarten or first grade sends him home a paper. I said, Eli, who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? Because I could settle for the what in the desert or I could be, have the becoming in my father. Second thing he says, well, why don't you throw yourself off this mountain and these angels are going to grab you and they're going to protect you and minister. Satan, how the heck are you tempting me with angels? Yeah, I could throw myself off now 
and get ministered to by angels. Or I could defeat you and they're going to minister to me right after. I could go to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray to my father and they're going to minister to me there. Or I could just beat death, hell, and the grave and they're going to be the ones who roll the stone away. Or I could come back descending on clouds of fire and armies of angels are coming with me. So I could give up what you want for me now or I could look to the future to what I want most and it's always within my father's will. Look past what the enemy's offering you in now to what could it be in the future. You might have to take some hits. You might have to be humiliated. You might have to be embarrassed. You might have to lose a few things. But is that what you want most? Or is freedom in the eternity what you want most? Or is real power, is real future, is real standing, is that what you want most? Last thing he says, he takes him to this mountaintop and he says, look at all the kingdoms of the earth. Bow before me and worship me, and I'll give you every last one of these. Okay, Satan. I could take these temporary kingdoms of this earth right now. But why don't I just claim my rightful heir to the throne of the universe? <laughs> Satan, I could take your deal right now. Or upon my second coming, I'll have multiple crowns on my head, fire in my eyes, a sword out of my mouth, a sweet tat on my thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'll come riding down on white horses with every army in heaven behind me. Why don't I just take the earth then and then reclaim it and then rebuild it and make it the earth my father actually intended it to be? Or I could take this sorry version that you're presenting me now. You cannot give up what you want the most for what you want right now. That will not sustain you. That will not sustain you. You have to realize the value of your birthright. You have to be ready for the wilderness and you have to be able to recognize that attack in your life. My closing in my notes just says closing. I didn't really, really, really know what God wanted to do from there. But I feel like because it, it's one of those moments that, you know, and our prayer partners will be up here in just a moment. If you have anything you want to pray with someone about, Absolutely, not a big deal. But you know what? This really matters tomorrow. Like I always used to tell students in the youth, it's not that alter decision that you make, it's how you alter every decision you make thereafter. And we'll be up here and we'll cry with you and we'll hold you and we'll pray together and we'll believe together because we should. But what are you going to do tomorrow? Claim your birthright. You have zero making up to do. You start walking back to the Father's porch and he'll get to you before you can get to him. And he will hand you your birthright. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Prayer partners can go ahead and become, come forward. I just want to pray over everyone and I want to encourage you, get to that small group expo. Sign up for a group. Sign up to be a part with other believers who are also dealing with things and going through things in life who want to be there for you and support you. Invite someone to church this week for Family and Friends Day. Bring cases of water, canned soda, bring them to the Connect desk, and we're going to have stuff for everybody. But what are you going to do with your birthright today? What are you going to do with your birthright tomorrow? What are you going to do with your birthright on Tuesday? Stay full. Stay full. And don't make a bad trade. Would you lift your hands as I bless you? Father, I thank you for your people. God, I thank you that what you are seeing right now, God, are your sons and your daughters. 
who are here to take full claim of every blessing, favor, and promise that you've declared. But God, if nothing else, our biggest blessing is your presence. That what Jacob understood when he held on, he said, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me, Father. We're not here for the blessing, we're here for the blesser. God, and I just pray that you would just descend upon your people, take home in our hearts and in our minds, take hold of our spirits, God. Keep us full. Keep us full and aware of every promise that you've given us, God. And if there's anyone in this room struggling with the even idea that they could be worth what you're offering, God, I pray this morning would be a shift for them. This would be a change in them, that they'd realize there is nothing I've done to deserve them. There's, the, there's nothing anyone else in this room has done to deserve it. But you are just that good. We thank you for it, Father. Bless us as we go. Unite us as a family. Unite this community as a family of believers claiming our birthright for Nederland, claiming our birthright for Port Natchez, for Groves, for Port Arthur, for Beaumont, for Orange. That this is our birthright, God. Take it all. Take us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today.